Excuse me, Veronica. <clears throat> yes, what is it, Brick? I would like to extend to you an invitation to the pants party. Excuse me? The party, the pants with the pants. Party with pants. Hello and welcome to the Pants Party. I am your host, Harrison Starr, aka Boilerhawk, aka HD underscore Star on the Bird app. Joining me, as always, is Ben Ross, aka Harmon Chillabrew. Just chilling out. What's up, man? I think that's the first time you've ever said like my moniker, my my pseudonym, my alias out loud. It's hilarious. Like it's it's such a good one. I'm super proud of it too because like lately, uh, not lately. There was a time. There was about a two week span where I was just very fed up and angry in the fall with everything, uh, and yeah. I became sort of I became sort of a reply guy, um, <laughs> just tweeting things at idiots <laughs> and people who aren't, I guess, from the Midwest or Minnesota or have any type of sports history knowledge thought you know my name was Harmon Chilber and it's like oh my god Har-, they were like oh look Harmon obviously isn't a football guy blah, 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 blah. Harmon doesn't know like Harmon did uh, Harmon doesn't understand the first amendment blah 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 well Harmon was a journalist with a journalism <laughs> degree <laughs> who also who also has covered professional and college football teams so <laughs> Mr. Hello, my name is a bunch of letters, bunch of numbers. I have three followers. My account is eight months old, and I have some very dumb opinions. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean that's it. As far as Mondays go, it sucked. Um, like I didn't even eat or drink anything out of the ordinary. I mean, for Super Bowl, you know, we had some beers, we had some carbs. Oh but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, today, I just feel like. I ate four pounds of wings, drank a pony keg of yingling. Like, I've gotten absolutely nothing done. Um, and to add insult to injury, I've been trying to do, and I've mentioned it on here before, the Meatless Monday thing. Oh, right, yeah. And it is absolutely kicking my ass. Today. In general or, or today specifically? Well, in general, last Monday, so I've had I've done a pretty good job. The last, like, eight weeks, I've done the exact same thing. I have, like either just cheese and nuts for breakfast or cereal or something. And then I just kind of coast until dinner and I make a big salad and um, uh, either an impossible meat or a beyond meat. I can't remember which one there. Neither of them are good. And neither (laughs) of them are sponsors. Neither of them are good. Neither of them are sponsors. I know I bought eight or 16 patties of one at Costco and I've got like four left. And last Monday I was like, I can't have another beyond burger. They are, it is, it is so bad. And also it's important. I also try and keep it as low carb as possible too. So there's no buns going on. I would, if I would just eat a cheese pizza, <laughs> if, if, I, if, if I was felt so inclined, I wouldn't be bitching. Uh, so last Monday I just, I didn't do the beyond burger. I had a big, a big bowl of cereal in the morning, a bunch of caffeine during the day, some protein bar or protein shake. And then I had a big salad at night. This morning, I had a big bowl of cereal, and about 25 minutes later, I was like, that's not going to do the trick. Um, <laughs> had, like, a, a wedge of cheese, 
<laughs> didn't make me feel much better. And so finally, it's like, all right, I'm hungover for multiple reasons. I just OD'd on dairy. Yeah. I need to get something real in my system. But I, uh, but it was either you're going to have to have to honor meatless Monday or honor low carbs. You're not going to do both. You can't you just, you're not going to be able to do both. So I went and I just bought a fucking loaf of bread and I've had, <laughs> oh God, I've had two peanut butter sandwiches today and okay. I actually feel great. I love peanut butter. I love bread. It's been a while since I bought a loaf of bread. Um, it's like a treat, peanut butter and jelly. And I put a little bit of honey and um, a couple of yeah. last bites on one. It was real. it's really good. Um, so that's something I'm going to keep in my back pocket now. Yeah, I mean, here, here's my favorite carb, and this was something I said on Twitter, and the one and only heavy metal lawyer uh, was basically the only response, and my hottest take, I don't even think it's that hot, but the best breakfast side um, carb is the English muffin, and the key to it is not just the butter with the toast, the toasted muffin. But you, you have to, if you have never done this before, Ben, I implore you to try buttering it before and then putting it on a griddle. And you think it's good with like the, the crispy crust toasted parts. It, it sets it over the top when you do this on the griddle, because that's always the thing with me with like breakfast or with like toast or whatever carb you're warming up for for breakfast and you can never find that perfect temperature where it's cold enough to touch but warm enough for the butter to melt so you kind of have to just use soft butter leave it out for days at a time um with the butter dish so (laughs) not an animal um (laughs) but really the the thing that saves it is 100 just putting it on a griddle and and toasting it. And you can do whatever you want with it. Like it's great with jelly. I'm sure it would be great with peanut butter, Um, whatever you want. Uh, It, that, that's my, my go-to. Oh, Harry, that is my music. So many things. It's a lot to unpack. Let me start is between a loaf of bread or a box of Bay's English muffins today. Mm. I chose a bread because my grocery store got some really nice fresh bread in from a local famous bakery. Um, that's one of the good, one of the few things my grocery store does well. Um, second, I don't own a toaster and I also just don't keep bread in my house anyway, so I don't have a reason to have one, but when I do get bread and I do want it toasted, I turn on the oven and my oven sucks. It takes three to four hours to preheat to 250 (laughs) and, (laughs) and I can never, I've even Googled like what toaster or toaster ovens at, like I can never get when I'm toasting just pieces of bread in the oven, I can never get it perfect. So I've got a really great nonstick little skillet. Just heat that up, a little bit of butter in there. I can only do one slice at a time because it's small, but that is the best way I've been able to make toast in my bachelor pad is um, breaking it out. And it, and it took take me back to my mom. You know, She would make the grilled cheese sandwiches, but she would also make grilled cheese, peanut butter, and jellies. Yep. So you just get the crispier exterior out, and then they're basically just fried in butter, these pieces of bread. Um, that's such a great little little kitchen hack. Yeah, I mean, the, the only reason to have a toaster, I, there is one thing, like TikTok, this freaking app. 
I'm on it, and it's like, what's one thing that you bought that was totally worth the money? And it's like this $300 toaster. You do not need to spend $300 on a toaster. Are you talking about you, or is this on TikTok? No, someone on TikTok. Because, one, the best way to make bread is, as we described, in on a griddle or pan, whatever you call it. Mm -hmm. If you're not going to do that, then the next best best way, and this is the the one we got, it's like a dash toaster and it's got the clear front. That's the way to do it because then you can just see how dark you want it and then pop it up whenever it's ready to go. Don't use it quite as often unless we have way too much going on and we just kind of want to deal with that. Um, or bagels. Bagels don't necessarily have the same thing because you, eh, butter, cream cheese, there's already a ton of carbs, ton of calories in bagels. Um, so when it rains, it pours, yeah. Yeah, you don't need to, to do the, the same thing with that. But that, that's, I'm glad we're on the same page in terms of breakfast carbs. You, you have a funny name tonight. You, you're the Parmesan Don. And I, and I did want to share something that. I just ate. It is like this mascarpone chicken pasta with a ton of Parmesan cheese. <clears throat> and oh my god, the you could not eat it on Monday, Ben. And it is just like <laughs> sitting in my <laughs> stomach right now. So delicious. I live like the closest restaurant, like food stuff to me is a Domino's, and oh. so it's like it's it's literally if I stuck my head out my front of my window, I'd be able to see it. And then the second closest restaurant is this really, really great mom and pop Italian stuff place. So when I was mulling over my hunger pains today, it was like, all right, should I just get a cheese pizza from Domino's or should I get a plate of spaghetti and without meatballs from, um, it's called Shea Fratello. I'll shout it out to the three Chicago residents who listen to this. Uh, but no matter what, I just end up being, having a ton of grease and a carby food coma. So I, I guess I ate four slices of bread instead but it's um i uh, i think i gotta be better and more deliberate about my meatless mondays moving forward and i think i do to keep it interesting i do kind of have to swallow the car bullet and and i hardly ever make pasta either and i love it and i think if i just make it once on mondays for the sake of reducing my carbon footprint i can i can live with that yeah i mean pasta's tough to beat it's the one thing i keep telling myself i I discussed it briefly on the on the pod early two weeks ago i guess being on parental leave paternal leave whatever you want to call it i have six weeks off i'm like you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna start getting back into the rhythm of making homemade pasta and i i thought i would have more time with elliot snaps because it's just like sometimes i get the hour and a half and today I cranked out the the two foul blog. Um, that one was fun. But typically, like I, I thought, I'd be like cranking out blogs, watching old games, things like that. And it's almost like, you know what? Not not doing nearly as much sports things as I want. I, I stopped uh, kind of you know doing my method on on the the gambling, the degenerate stuff. But Bitcoin's up, so that's fun. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Good for Elon for pump that up artificially. Really happy with that economy. Um, how so my best friend from college or not college from high school uh called me a few weeks ago and he's a huge 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 pasta maker like that's that's what he does he just always has fresh pasta on hand and my problem with it is it's he and he lives with his fiance um i think the yield is just so small that like when you when you go out to make it it's like 
two two official servings of pasta, whereas I need six servings of pasta to be satisfied. And if I'm actually making the stuff, I want forty servings because it's so time so labor intensive. Yeah, I think you really nailed it there because I'm trying to think like just the size that it ends up being. You use a ton of eggs. Like that's the first thing I need to find an eggless batter to use because that's the one thing that really kind of hampers it just need to spend the money on the semolina dough the zero zero dough and just do water maybe a little oil and the dough but yeah i mean you hit it right on the why are you why are you anti-egg oh just because we we buy the expensive eggs and it's like i don't really want to spend you know these four dollars and fifty cents on eggs it's like the happy egg yeah company yeah Um, um so maybe I just need to buy the cheap eggs whenever I'm making pasta. But to your point, like you end up putting all these eggs in and it ends up being, I think we end up getting a better yield um, than just the two servings. You can make what we'll use like half of it, freeze half of it because you can just take the frozen pasta, throw it in the water, um, which works perfectly um, and keeps longer. Anyways, to your point, to really only get two meals out of it, it's not much. But I did do so the the first thing I did was we have this recipe book Christina got me for um, uh, my birthday last summer. Forget what my birthday is. Hilarious. Um, and really hadn't used it because it's kind of got some weird recipes, but it's all pasta. It's from like this restaurant in San Francisco. And finally made one of those. And it was like a three-hour bolognese sauce. And would I do it again? Yes. But man, that was a lot of work. A lot of work. So it was homemade pasta and homemade sauce. And then we, bolognese, I, so homemade meatballs, I guess. Kind I of. gave up the time. I'm like, I'm not going to make the pasta. I started on the sauce. And I'm like, this is going to take a while. Let's not completely destroy our kitchen. Because that would be what happens. I, I'm, oh, if you made the pasta and the sauce, okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm already bad with m- using one too many dishes, and it's like, oh, gotta clean it. Now we got the new, these new pans. I think I mentioned mentioned them to you before, and it's like, can't gotta hand wash them. And it's like, oh boy, so much work. Um, but they're better pans, that's for sure. So it's. I mean, I'm in the market for a new 12 to 14 inch saucepan. Saucepan. I haven't been I haven't been thrilled with the results I've seen online, honestly. Mm. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, what was it? The Caraway? Uh, Caraway? I think that's what we have. That's yeah, and I, I always look have at them. Yeah, we we like them a lot. Um, it it cooks uh, chicken as well as we've cooked it. I I think I told you before. Just I, we can I struggle with grilling a chicken breast. And these are the best that, that I, we've ever done in terms of just like kind of the thicker chicken breasts and just throwing them on and get the nice crisp outside. Um, but I guess enough food talk, Ben, um, because <laughs> you want to keep going. I, guess, I mean, <laughs> we, I, we can filibuster you, this thing. This, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I'm trying to think of a shoehorn. I mean, the Hawkeyes are our vegetables normally. Oh yeah, we yeah. Would, normally we would talk about them first, and then we would t- ha- talk about anything else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you're you're spot on. Um, normally, how we structure this is like we we get the dessert, the the 
BSing out of the way. Um, and then we hit, hit the vegetables of the Hawkeyes. And it feels like, uh, unfortunately, I, I don't want... You mentioned earlier in the fall. And, and I don't think it necessarily compares. But um, the expectations heading into this season, it just feels like the time is ripe for a hashtag state of the program in terms of where Iowa basketball is right now. Um, because really it's four out of five losses, four, four losses out of the last five games only went against a bad Michigan state team, <laughs> really bad Michigan state team. Um, two losses to Indiana, lost to Illinois, lost to Ohio state. We were very, <laughs> Uh, not even really cautiously optimistic after the Michigan State game when we did our after party. We were uh, a little over the moon, and I think could I I'm not sure I could have been more wrong. I don't want to lump you in with me, but I think we were way, way too happy after that. I mean, I think I've been more optimistic than you post Michigan State and post. Was that Illinois. when we last spoke? Yeah, it must have been. Did we do we pot on Friday night post Illinois? I believe we did. Yeah. So I remember (laughs) any of them, any of them, any of the losses, including and then the Michigan State win that we've done. uh, Any of the recent losses, I was always like, I'm not worried. And you were, you were. I remember you had always said, okay, well, I'm over. I'm upset. You, your whole thing was, I'm upset because the Big Ten championship is now out of the question. Um, which now it's definitely out of the question. And my my whole ethos that entire time was I don't give a flying fuck about the Big Ten Championship. I care about Sweet 16s and Elite 8s. Um, and I did mention the two are related. And now I'm very much in the little bit, and I said a little bit under my breath last time that we got the pod about friend February Freight is kind of a thing. And now, I mean, I don't want to be vindicated on that, but you just can't get away from it. It's... It's a thing, and I know we've written, but, you know, it is <clears throat> it is a thing, but it isn't at the same time. And how, the, I mean, obviously there's 20 days left in February. How many games are do we have left this month? Three, four? Um, five. So I could change, five, geez. That yeah. could change the whole narrative, obviously. Um, but I have, I you know, there's nothing, there are things in the Ohio State game that I guess we I could have pointed at her and be like, all right, this, this, and this. There's nothing in the Indiana game other than like total and complete reversal of coaching decisions that would have um, changed the outcome of that game. I don't think that's an articulate way to say what I mean, but I think you know what I mean. Yeah. I mean, I think we were the, the, it starts and ends, I think with the two foul decision. That's kind of to me where you start and end because you had a great text or when we were talking and it was, Hey, um, Iowa was plus 13 with Luca. They're just trusting that, Hey, you get to the second half, you can put that margin on him again and it's tough. But to, to me, and I think where, where Fran hurts the team in this is you're basically pushing a decision down the road and it's 100% punitive. It feels like, um, this isn't like a, a um, I was offense and defense in a way is constructed to protect Garza. Like, I mean, I, I think if, if Iowa wanted to go out and head screens and do all of this stuff, 
that they've done in the past with Adam Woodbury. Luca Garza, in my mind, is capable of doing that. But he's so strong offensively that you've built a defensive scheme. People would say loosely built. But you've decided to run the defense that you're running to protect Garza. And the fact that you don't trust him when both of his fouls had happened in Iowa's front court to continue to play defense for some amount of time, not 13 minutes. No one's asking for Garza to stay in the rest of the first half, but you can't let a, you can't let a game become a game in the way that Fran did on Sunday. Um, and, and that was really frustrating to me. I think that's the worst part about it <laughs> is like, he didn't have to play him the entire 13 minutes, 12 minutes he didn't play. If he would have just played five or six, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Even if the outcome had – even if I would still lost, we wouldn't be having this conversation or it wouldn't be nearly as inflammatory or controversial of a decision. Um, I think the best argument for the whole thing is friend of – maybe a friend? Uh, Patrick Vint tweeted, you know, <laughs> even in- – <laughs> former proprietors. <laughs> yeah, I hope he's a friend. I consider him one. Um, <laughs> fuck, what, what was his tweet? It was something to the effect of even if, uh, like, if they're like, even if Luca Garza did foul out, the chances of him missing twelve minutes in this game are highly unlikely, which is spot on. Yeah, yeah, I, yes. Th- to, to me, that's one hundred percent it. Like, I, I, I get wanting to settle him down after the second foul. I understand that. But and that's what four minutes sitting down d- does. It settles you down. But I, I, I view it like not only are you like putting the team in a poor position, you're also putting Garza in an unenviable position where um, he's not playing for 40 minutes and 40 live minutes, but then has to come in and play 20 minutes the rest of the way. And there were times where he was absolutely gassed. He had to run out on a corner three that, again, scheme, whatever, it's dumb as hell. But he's doing his job. But you can tell he's gassed. And Bohannon, I I think this is maybe the second point, um, he has to go out and play 20 minutes too because of the rotation that Fran set up. And it just feels like... The the small things are a bigger issue because of the big things. And I think that the fact that Bohannon has to go out and play 35 minutes is not what you want from him. Um, he certainly can do it, but at the end of the day, he's a Big Ten, le- Big Ten caliber point guard with strengths and weaknesses. And... When he's playing 35 minutes, it makes his strengths worse and it makes his weaknesses worse. Like to me, they ran a set for him and he shorted a three-pointer. It, you, it, it's very easy for me to see, oh, yeah, maybe he missed it because he was a little tired. Now I went back and made the next one to, to tie it up. But then Frayne doesn't call a timeout after a made shot and Archie Miller... The as meticulous as an accountant as uh, John Rothstein would say, incredibly happy to run offense without calling a timeout because he had Bohannon on the floor. Now, 
you know, he, he ended up being a non-factor in, in the play, but still <laughs> like it, there's just, he's not mitigating Bohannon's weaknesses with guys who can make up for them. Right. I don't think we saw <clears throat> uh, Bohannon and Toussaint on the court together. I don't know if we saw Toussaint really at all. I mean, I think he only played, did he even play seven minutes? Um, he, he hardly played at all, which makes me think he has to be struggling with some sort of injury. Um, it's to the point, though, yeah, Bohannon doesn't seem to be surrounded by guys who help Bohannon's game. But still, like, he had a really, he still had a pretty good game uh, yes. against Indiana as a thing, too. <laughs> right. Right. So, and that, that's what I come back to is like, he, he played well. He's just asked to do too much. Are you all, are you muted, Ben? I was. Um, the thing is, probably Wieskamp's best game of the year. Mm-hmm. Garza still ended with eighteen, with two in the first half, and uh, Bohannon. I think was shooting shot three or four from deep, or four or five. Um, like I was three, you know, main guys had a great game, and Keegan Murray had one of after. I think he's had maybe not duds, but you know, quieter games the last couple of games. He had another great game against Indiana. I think it, it's, and I saw it was, it was all over our comments of my recap. It was like, after Fran trusted these guys to go and beat Michigan state Perkins and uh, Euless and uh, Toussaint, he didn't, he was, he asked him to put them in an absolutely impossible position against Indiana. And, uh, you know, Nunji didn't didn't play great. Uh, Pat didn't play great after Pat has had some really great. His last few games mm-hmm. have been really his best of, the, of his career, and uh, certainly had a little bit of a dud against Indiana. So the guys on the bench, you who who he is playing, are doing aren't 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 contributing for you, aren't aren't creating for you. Um, it it just took so long to for uh, Perkins saw pretty heavy usage most of the game, but Toussaint didn't, which makes me think. That he he's hurt and you will um, saw a little bit more too. Yeah, and I think this comes comes back to like my my other big point is that CJ Frederick is someone that covers up way too many of Fran McCaffrey's blind spots because to me I think when he's out the go to replacements for that for him are Joe Wieskamp and Jordan Bohannon. And that may be the offensive facsimile of what Frederick provides, but it isn't, to me, the most important things that he provides because Frederick's versatility is in being a strong shooter, being a very capable defender, and um, being quick with the ball. Whether it's dribble, pass, shoot, he's doing exactly what he needs to do all the time that that's impossible to replace but by not being able to play him I'm wondering if Toussaint is in fact the biggest um like he he's the biggest casualty of it because when you can't play Frederick 30 minutes a game, you have to have someone who can shoot when you're playing Toussaint, and then it gets very quick if, if Nunji isn't making his threes or taking them. So then, you know, he's forcing it or whatever, and he only plays three minutes because, I don't know. Like, it, it feels like it's more than just an injury. It feels like it's 
he just can't find the the right combinations to play Tucson with. And, and I think a big thing of that is missing Frederick. And, and this shouldn't happen, in my opinion. Like, it, it just shouldn't happen. As good as Frederick is. Because it, What's it my does that's my point. It shouldn't happen because Frederick, going in the year, I would I would have said he is our fourth starter of consequence. You know, our fourth most important starter. Uh, others would say three, third. Some might even you know, say now as he's would say he's our second most important starter. Probably. I don't think my issue, and I can't quantify it, and I can't, and I I'm sure I could. I'm not going to take the time to. I don't think if we have Frederick, we beat Indiana at least yesterday. I don't think having Frederick changes the outcome of the Ohio State game. I think maybe it does against Illinois. So, you know, we, we I think he's maybe is worth one more win in one of our losses right now. Our, arguably two, I mean, maybe the first Indiana game, I don't remember well enough. Um, the one, you know, the game where he actually did get hurt. And, and that's my issue. I don't think, you know, if the, if you would have told me that uh, a number four team in the country um, is under has lost four of the last five games with a starter out, and that starter isn't Luca Garza, that's sort of an, unacceptable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I the way I would frame it is I think Iowa probably splits with Indiana and splits the Illinois and Ohio State combination. Um, that's just, fair. Uh, so whatever you want to call it, one win, two wins. I, they're not behind the eight ball, like it feels right now. It, it really feels like Iowa is behind the eight ball, and um, I think it's fair criticism that hey, the 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 talk coming in was hey, you have Luca Garza going to win national player of the year. Now, will he, will Iowa win enough games to, to win it? Because that, that was his problem last year is Iowa wasn't good enough. So we can table that conversation. And then you have Joe Wieskamp and John Bohan top topping, yeah. coming back. And, and I think that, um, yeah, Frederick was completely overlooked and, and maybe that's our fault as analysts uh, or bloggers, whatever I mean, bloggers. Uh, we are not analysts. Blogger slash podcasters, and really, it just shouldn't have been that way. But I think that you, the way you do look at it, though, is Tom Cacker, Caker, Cacker. I, I feel bad Cackert. getting his name wrong. Um, JP was sharing the statistics that he put together in terms of um, Iowa with and without Frederick. Um, Three and eight without him, and fifteen and six with him in the Big Ten. You see some field goal percentages go um, Iowa's direction and uh, away from the opponent's direction when um, he's in. So they do play better on both sides of the ball. Um, it just it it blows my mind that he's this important when clearly it kind of seems like it is like to me, the easiest explanation is that like the Fran fade stuff. I think you have to, that's a, that's oversimplifying a lot of things. Maybe it is just 
Frederick being injured and still he's the head coach. He has to figure out how to mitigate the losses of someone who's already struggled with injury problems. That's the other thing too, I guess. Um, those are the, the the stats that Cackert are damning, and they they punch a gigantic hole in my argument that is <laughs> that is backed only by anecdotes. But God, I hate I hate making this comparison. But Fran McCaffrey has known what he's had for the entire year, and then he how many games did Frederick miss last year? Um, he missed uh, seven. Uh, I was, I was going to say 10. It felt like double digits, low double digits at least. So he also knew what this team should would look like without C.J. Frederick, and he's had all that time to do it. And I was reading, I begrudgingly watched the Super Bowl last night, and, <laughs> it, and the easy thing to take away from it was, you know, uh, you know, Tom Brady's a GOAT, everything like that. Mahomes didn't have any time to throw, whatever. But the the take that I was most intrigued by was Andy Reid totally and completely screwed up that game. He has known for two weeks. He's had a patchwork offensive line, and he did absolutely nothing. He didn't change his game plan. He's doing square peg round hole. All the plays they're running were the 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 plays the Chiefs have always run. They didn't do anything to to try and cover up the weaknesses they had um, and their off- on their offensive line and their offense as a whole. And that's where I'm at right now with Fran McCaffrey. He has known for weeks that C.J. Frederick isn't going to be around. And he has just – other the, the only way he's changed the game is, I mean, Keegan Murray is a, is a different player than, than Frederick at that spot, and he switched him over. But other than that, it's just like, all right, we got to hope since one of our three three-point shooters is out, we have to hope things are shoot, dropping for Bohannon and Wieskamp. And then nobody, I, I, I guess we're disc- discounting his tra- C.J. Frederick's transition defense is like one of the most underrated parts of his game and something his team has always lacked under a Fran McCaffrey <laughs> coach team. <laughs> under a Fran McCaffrey coach team. So that's where you would put in, I would feel like, I don't, I don't think, you know, starting Uless or Perkins or Toussaint over over Keegan when when CJ out out is the answer, but getting those guys more playing time, who you're able to find flashes of CJ's game between two other players on your bench, doesn't seem like Fran has um, done that at all, or even tried to do that. Honestly, yeah, like I I, I thought it would be maybe Iowa zags a little bit like with, with him out last time, right? You saw a lot of Ryan Creener. Um, and it's weird, right? Because I, to me, it feels like Jack Nungy is playing very well right now. Maybe, maybe better than Creener's ever played. Um, so I think the comparisons there, I, I maybe it's a size thing that, that Nungy isn't starting, but um, I, I think he's over indexing on like the true defensive piece of it without um, quite understanding what makes Frederick good as a defender. What makes Frederick good as a defender is his ability to play the better perimeter player on defense so that Bohannon can play, you know, the, the guy who isn't moving around quite as much. And, and you're not going to throw Keegan Murray on Rob Finnessy, but you could throw Tony Perkins on Rob Finnessy. You could throw Joe Tucson on him. And 
it's just like I said, like you said, excuse me. It's he's known this long. He's known for a year. How do I mitigate this guy going out? Um, And really he just hasn't been able to do it. Um, And and I think blind spots really just kind of the right word for it. Um, He's blinded by the offense that Wieskamp, Bohannon and Garza collectively can, can provide that, um, that's what he's focused on instead of um, mitigating kind of the defensive woes that uh, come along with that. I mean, and the frustrating part too is like, this is an Iowa team that averages around 90 points a game. <laughs> we gave up 67 to Indiana and lost. Like that's most frustrating. Is this the fewest points we've allowed all year? Like, and I don't even, it doesn't uh, even feel like it was a great defensive game. Either it's just um, how it happened. Western Illinois scored fifty-eight. Northern yeah, I mean Illinois the, the only 53. Big Ten team to score less is Purdue at fifty-five. Purdue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean sixty-seven is a winning number defensively. Yeah. Yes, it, Maryland scored that many too against us. Yeah. And I think maybe the biggest thing because we kind of started small, getting bigger is just the total lack of expectation setting. Um, to me, I think we were talking before the podcast and when you say, oh, we're not trying to go 27 and no, we're trying to go one and no 27 times, whether you're a player, a coach, whatever, you need to be able to back it up, quite frankly, because you're setting high expectations for yourself in a way that when things go wrong, you should feel the heat, so to speak. Like, I don't think, oh, accountable, fire him. But, you know, like, you shouldn't be miffed when people ask questions about why <laughs> why the best player is sitting on the bench when he can play. Um, so so the big thing, and I, the direct comparison is Ferentz, who's going to undersell every single team that he has is just if you're going to set these high expectations, um, keep it internal, <laughs> right? I mean, like, that's kind of the big thing to me because you, you kind of look, go back to this team. You go back to Bohannon after his freshman year, and he had that Instagram post where he tagged San Antonio as the location. They ended up 14-18 and 18 that season. So you would think that part of it is aiming high. I get that, but... The work has to be done to be able to back it up. And and things could still happen in a way that's very positive for Iowa. Um, I think that's the benefit of starting highly ranked, having that benefit of the doubt. But you knock down too many pegs, and, and it ends up, like, is Iowa going to be playing this thing from a six-seed perspective? I mean, that would suck. That is the thing. Like there is so much, still so much time to turn the ship around. There are mm-hmm. six regular season games left. I will say three of those games have seven regular season games left. Excuse me. Three, four of those games have TBD next to them for time and date. But you know, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. <laughs> uh, so that's the thing. It's like I don't think this will happen. And I said this last time, but it's like Frank could win the rest of the games this year, and like. Everybody's full of being in their mouth. Like that that will be that. 
you talked about, I, I also think we should mention, you know, his, his actions post game were kind of the worst I can remember seeing Fran towards a media member. And I followed Fran really closely ever since he's been at Iowa. I can't remember him ever. And I, I'm not going to say in his defense, I will say it's a lot easier to get snippy with somebody over zoom than it is in person. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that absolutely that absolutely positively does not excuse it. Yeah, I mean I I think it's it's an incredibly tough look. Um the question was the fairest question fair. of all time. And 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 going back to what we were talking about, Fran should have seen it coming. He has yeah. it's the most obvious question of all time. You do this every single game. It's it's not hard to say. It, it really isn't like to, to say I didn't like the way the game was being called. It's my philosophy never to play someone in the first half when they have two fouls under ex- except for extremely extenuating circumstances. Well, then the question for that is like, well, why did you play Keegan Murray and not yeah. Luka Garza? So, so maybe he just wanted to avoid that. But it's a fair question. Like, I mean, you you have to have a fair answer to it, and I think where I settle on it when I kind of Occam's razor this thing is Fran is a testy guy. We all know this. I like it for the most part. I think sometimes it's a little misdirected. This was maybe the biggest instance. I think he knows the only, the way this team gets better is by having a 100% CJ Frederick. And he already coached Frederick through the media. We discussed this, on, on the podcast last time where he said, Hey, he's not going to play because he doesn't look like himself. And if he comes back after losing two games and says, you know, we're going to be a better team when Frederick's healthy, Frederick's doing everything he can, maybe outside of the normal path to get back and playing. And then it puts the postseason at risk. So, that's kind of where I settle on it from where Fran's expectations. I don't think it's him being like, Oh, let me take all the blame. There are better ways to do that. Um, I just think he's, it's a combination of things and you just have to be better than that. Like, like I, I hate that phrase, but you just can't come at a media member asking a totally fair question that way. It's just, it's silly. I mean, it's, it's a thing you don't it's, need to manage. Um, the word, in this season. The word. And like also the hilarious thing, not hilarious, but sad. And I, you know, it's a really, really tough job. I, I used to do it and I don't do it anymore because it was so tough. It chewed me up and spit me out. But the guy that Fran got testy with has carried so much water (laughs) (laughs) for for Fran and the university and the program. It's truly unbelievable. Like he bit the hand that's been feeding him this whole past three or four years, honestly. Yeah, I mean, Mark Emmert, right? I think that's that's who I said it. it was Lice to Cow against, yeah. uh, against Illinois. Emmert, yeah, and like, I mean, I th- I almost wonder like some if some of Fran's frustration just like comes back to like these these newspapers don't have a one hundred percent basketball reporter anymore, and if it just comes back to like, oh, there's what. 20 guys and, and females who, who are covering football every single week. It's their main focus. And then I, I'm their leftovers to, to borrow the, the food um, analogy mm-hmm. further. 
I, I wonder if there's some of that going on. Like, hey, he, here we are with a number one team that not number one team, but you know, a team that's had the highest expectations of any Iowa team, and I'm I'm not getting anyone 100. But that I mean, like I said, that's way far past Occam's razor. That's not really Occam's razor. That just maybe goes into Fran's thought process or his general frustration. I don't know. And Fran's brother is a sports writer in Philadelphia too. So he basically, it's just like being an adult about this. (laughs) Yeah. It just makes no sense. Like I, I, to me, it just comes back to you set these expectations and whether it's you or your team, they're getting set. And when you don't win games, and you put yourself in a position where you, where you can't compete for a Big Ten title when you said that's our number one goal, one of our goals, and you're four games off that pace, well, you need to feel the heat. And it, it, it's just funny to me because, man, the foresight has just been disappointing, to say the least. Um so I don't know. Like I don't know. It's just like I said, disappointing. But I I am optimistic about all the what ifs. Even if Iowa gets Frederick back one hundred percent, you know I think there are only two teams that I think Iowa has very little chance against if we get to that. Um, but you still got to finish out the regular season, and if you you set that milestone that you want to have, and you're not meeting it you got to be willing to answer questions about why you're not meeting it. Here, I mean, and here's the biggest problem, I guess, with this entire conversation and and the next conversations we will have is like, if I would make sure the sweet 16, if they make it to the lead eight, this conversation's freaking moot. Mm-hmm. It's like, remember, remember how we ta- spent 90 minutes talking about that Indiana lost in early February. <laughs> and, and Iowa just took down, I don't know who, Davidson uh, in the Sweet 16 to go. I don't know if Davidson's anything. Um, like, it's just so foolish. That's just the sport of basketball. It's Iowa could easily get hot and, and back end of February into March. I, and I'm not making any predictions. I don't know. It's still too early to tell. But, like, you know, it, it's just the, 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 the memory of all of us during all, you know, this, this media cycle is just so, so, so short. Um, that I, it's just, you know, it's fun to do, fun to talk with you. I just think it's ultimately pointless. I really do. Oh yeah. I mean, what is it? It's not like, it's not like football because like where one loss really can, one yeah. early loss really can upend the season. Cause we've seen that happen. Arizona, 2010, um, Iowa State. Any of the times we've lost to them, like, <laughs> like that, that really is kind of skies falling for some programs, and uh, inarguably, yeah. But whereas you know, with basketball, it's like Iowa could split the rest of its games, l- l- get in the tournament ass backwards or uh, ass first, rather, and <laughs> and win four games in a row, five games in a row, and we won't give a shit about how they got there. No, no, absolutely not. And I think that there was something that Fran Fraschilla tweeted the other day that I think lends itself to your point is 
teams are going to have five great games and five horrible games. It's what they do with the 20 in between that matters. And it sucks that it would appear all five of Iowa's bad games have come in this middle stretch. Now the question is, does Iowa have any more of their really good games left to play? Or do they have they gotten those out of the way? I would lean that maybe they've knocked out two of their really good games. I think the the um, Maryland game was about as good as you can get. And the Iowa State game was about as good as you can get from an Iowa perspective. Um, we just know, have North to... Carolina and either of the Northwestern games. Fair, fair. Um, but we just have to have to hope that they will regress up to the mean um, versus what we've seen in the past, which is uh, I think Thad had it in, in our Slack where um, these teams had overachieved um, in previous fan, fran fades to um, regress to the, their mean as call it a seven to 10 seed. Um, you know, I, I think this team's better than that. And, and I think that, um, hopefully time will tell. Like, I mean, it, if Iowa gets to the elite eight, yeah. I mean, we've, we've moved this up, this boulder up the hill, uh, only to, to move it up again next week. That's the problem is. I guess being able, having seen what I was capable of, and for we you know whatever reason, it's just not consistent. Uh, Thad brought up a really good point with you know previous Fran Fran fades. I hate bringing that up to, though because like this team just isn't like any other really. I mean the, the best comparison is probably 2015 rather, and is is and I guess we could you know put them up next to each other. It looks pretty bad. I think the the way that the way 2015 ended, it's pretty, pretty inexcusable. Um, or 2016, 2016 rather. Excuse me. Um, 2016 definitely. Uh, and the problem is like Fran. You know, contractually he'll survive it if that happens. But with f- fandom, I don't know uh, if he will. Yeah, I mean, it, it feels silly to have, like, a, a discussion on a discussion of this. But I, he, he's been in tepid water before. But th- there's – this just gets back to my expectation setting point, is that Iowa, on balance, is how much different than last year? Like, like when you really think about it, Creener left – Evil and left. I think those are the, the two big ones. You brought mm-hmm. you brought back Bohannon and Nunji to fill in some capacity those broad strokes of minutes. And then you got this freshman class that has proved to be pretty good. M- maybe one of the potentially better ones that, that Franz had. Honestly, um, yeah. Keegan Murray is one of the best freshmen I can remember seeing. Yeah. I mean, he, he looks like an MBU player. And... But but ultimately the the big tent poles are 
Bohannon instead of Evelyn slash Toussaint. And um, just guards are getting better. Wieskamp getting better. 100% offensively focused, though. And Fran's known this for months and hasn't figured it out defensively. Um, I mean, you, you've thrown this point back in my face, but it's like, well, when Bohannon was, or when Garza was draining threes from center court, what was Bohannon do? Uh, getting podcast equipment. I mean, he's allowed yeah. to do that. Um, but it just kind of shows the, the difference in priorities, right? Um, and I don't necessarily begrudge him for it because he's a college kid. I know his brother and I wouldn't say we're friends, but we, we chat every now and then. Um, and I like him. I like the Bohannons. But you just see the priorities are a little different. And that's fine. Um, but the defense well, has got to be better future. from a the, team perspective. The the de- the de- yeah. it, it feels like okay. Bohannon is – he gets the this short end of the stick in terms of criticism because I think you could throw a lot of the crit- criticism that Bohannon gets – to Connor McCaffrey. Um, but it's Bohannon who gets it. And man, it just, if the defense becomes respectable, I'm not sure if the numbers can get it to 60th or whatever, because they're, they're going to have to put some really good games together for it to really improve. Um, but I'm, it's, it's silly to bury this team. That, that's my biggest point. Yes. I think your biggest yes. point. Like, Throw dirt on them. Go ahead. I'm sure. I actually think they would like that. If if you think that they can't come back, maybe that is a thing. Maybe they do want people to bail. I mean, we've been having this, the thing is we've been having this conversation about <laughs> Fran if his team can play defense. No, since 2012. Um, it, it's just frustrating to to see like we're talking about you know maybe if Bohannon would have shot more free throws or whatever, spent as much time as Garza. But it's like, what can Fran do to freaking make better choices, to do his job better? Like, yes, yes. You see, you see all, you know, the players doing what they got to do. Like, Fran is making the same mistakes over and over and over and over again. Like, it makes you wonder, like, I know Andrew Francis left the team, but it's like, what is what is Kirk Spiroff saying to him? What is Andrew, uh, what is Sherman Dillard saying to him? Um the, the, new, the new coach he got it's Courtney Eldridge I think is his name like what, what oh, is I, his role yeah uh, Billy yeah. Taylor I think's the the assistant the new, Eldridge got okay. promoted to, to something else but yeah I oh, mean the, yeah. the point stands like yeah. just, like this is where it's funny his staff construction is basically he wants head coaches is kind of how he thinks about it which is fine but what are they telling him? Like, oh yeah, just keep leaning into the offense, coach. Just keep leaning into it. it. It'll it'll turn Iowa's direction. It's like, well, maybe in the tournament, but you got to play games until then. And I mean, that's an interesting thing you said about. I know you said it before, but I haven't really thought about it, where it's like Fran wants head coaches. So it's like Kirk Spear has been his assistant this entire time. Mm-hmm. So he, if he's not going to go on to be a head coach somewhere, he bad ship has probably sailed. Same goes for Sherman Dillard. Andrew Francis was the first coach, I think, to leave Fran's yeah. staff two years ago, and he went to a similar role at Cal, right? Just More or less. To, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, you traded Iowa City for Berkeley. Um, <laughs> so obviously not going to blame you there. But 
it's like the, his staff, they are making, they aren't climbing up the ladder at all. And something I, you know, I listened to, I noticed when I listened to, uh, honestly, Slate's podcast, uh, Hang Up and Listen, one of the guys, his name is Joel Anderson, and he was LaDainian Tomlinson's backup at TCU. And he talks about how all of the position coaches at TCU, so like the special teams coach, the running backs coach, all the wide receivers coach, they're all still that type of, they're all still a position coach at a different school. And it's been 18 years since he was there. So it's just like these guys are, they're just getting, they're used to being yes men. And then they're putting, put into a, they're shoehorned into that. Uh, then after that. So it's like, I think these guys are just being told that their opinion doesn't matter. And they're having a tough job, tough, tough time either. I mean, I, I love friend. I really do. He's, he's my ride or die. And maybe that, that's how they are with him too. But I, I feel like that um, they're sort of hurting maybe other job prospects because w- w- what do they do, I guess? Like everything we've seen, and it, that's how it should be, but every you know every mistake we've seen an Iowa basketball team make has had Fran's fingerprints, fingerprints all over it, which I guess – like, oh, you know, that loss chalked up to Sherman Dillard and whatever and whatever. Like, you, you would never say it about an assistant basketball coach, I think. You might about a football coach, but it's a little bit different. It's just, you know, Newport, just it doesn't seem like things are being tried out, I guess. We're losing the same ways. We're winning the same ways. It'd be nice to lose in a different way <laughs> for once is what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I think the the answer to it is that the way it's structured, and I don't know how other staffs do it, but the way Iowa does it right is how each assistant coach has their own scout. And I do think from a broad perspective, Iowa has very good scouts put together. I think their game plans are sound. People don't like when the random player goes off, but I would much rather the random player go off than, to me, the, the worst one that sucked was the Minnesota game because it was Marcus Marcus Carr was a frustrating thing. It wasn't Brandon Johnson going off rate of nine, having a career night. Um, that was the frustrating one. Um, so I think from a scouting perspective, they are largely good. I think that maybe people will disagree with that, but yeah, I mean, it's not like Iowa has a defensive guy and it's not like Spira is um, hammering. Hey, here's how we need to lean into defense. Um, we're, we're never going to know that, but just to your point, the fact that it's broken up with scouts and I think positions as well. Um, it's just, yeah, th- there's not one guy that can be the finger pointed. And I think that maybe part of Fran's point is he doesn't want, oh, the defense to suck and it to be this assistant coach's fault. Um, he wants it to be Maybe it does come back to, oh, Fran does want just all of the the accountability, even though he's not able to, to necessarily handle it sometimes. That's it. So uh, I think that that's our wide-ranging uh, uh, state of the program. To me, the biggest takeaway, though, if you take away one thing from this is I'm – do not bury them. Like to me, I just think there's too much skill on this team to to be like this season's over. Um, I think that even, that is 
an absolutely silly uh, opinion to have. I don't. I think only the really dramatic people. If you didn't read our comments, um, I think only I the really not. dramatic. <laughs> I think only like really dramatic individuals have. You know, I'm never going to watch Iowa again. Blah blah blah. I, I think that's a little overblown. The only like I think it's silly too because going back to my main point about Frederick, it's like even if Frederick was out, for, if if we if we found out today that Frederick was out for the rest of the year, I still don't think you would bury Iowa. Obviously, it would be a huge damper and you're a little bit higher on him, but it's like, even if some more thing, even if we hit some more speed bumps rest of the season, you know, I think it would nothing short of losing Luca Garza should derail, um, sweet 16 expectations. 100%. Like, I, I think that's, we're very much on the same page in terms of expectations. I think, you get to the Sweet 16, the circumstances of that happening, if you win or lose, I think that that is going to be really kind of the deciding factor as to whether this season was a success um, versus the preseason expectations. Probably not. But I think when you look at the broad strokes of what Iowa has looked like um, over the last 20 years, um it's certainly a high point in the program and it would be silly to argue otherwise. So Ben, I, I think that does it. We don't want to talk Matt Campbell extension. I, I, I like the tweet who, who had the tweet from, from the, the black heart gold pants. Oh, I, I didn't even know it wasn't me. I didn't even know we had one. Uh, it was, I think it was uh, Matt Campbell now extended to lose to Iowa for the next Seven years. Through 2028. That's only 23 likes. What the hell? It was a good one. Um, I just, I don't know. It's February. I think people. um, I mean, they had to do it. I had. Yeah. I had thought that I wanted to do. I don't like the sober January thing. I had considered the post Super Bowl pre March madness, taking that month off from drinking. Mm. Um, February is a way to do it. There's only 28 days in February. Everyone who does it, so I did sober January except for my birthday, but it's like, you're an idiot if you do sober January. There's February right there, right next to it, and it's three fewer days. Yeah. I mean, while we're talking good habits, I have been working out every day um, since paternity leave, getting up unnecessarily at six o'clock, getting my 30 minutes of yoga on the Apple Fitness Plus. It's decent. Um, and, you know, Get, getting more limber because I, I threw out my back uh, earlier. Not fun. Not fun. Because he, he slept funny? No, because the – this is actually pretty funny. The suction of the diaper pail that we have, we pile in so many diapers into this pail with the bag. I'm pulling it up, and, like, somehow I just hit it wrong – and it felt like I was using all my arms, but it went to my lower back. And then I looked psychosomatically. Anger is stored in your lower back. So I, I'm wondering if I need to level myself out a little bit. Um, and I think the yoga is helping, not only with the uh, limberness, but also a little more zen. 
So. I mean, I the the days when my my gym was closed and I couldn't go to do. I I'm a huge proponent of group fitness and group fitness classes. The hardest days of quarantine were, you know, six to eight weeks. My gym was closed and they weren't holding <clears throat> any type of fitness classes at all because, you know, it's uh, it's how I'm able to shake the rust off of the day. Yeah. Yeah. So that'll do it, Ben. Um, for Harmon Chillabrew, I am Harrison Starr. Go Hawks. I don't have anything clever.